making his way to Rome, as he always wanted, as he always desired to go to Rome. I'm sure in his imagination, he wanted to go to Rome as a free man, to freely share the gospel, but sometimes things turn out differently. And it's not to say that it's a bad thing, you know. Uh, Maybe this is the the only way possible for Paul. And it's nice to know that it was God's will that Paul make his way to Rome. But it's probably, again, you know, it's not in the most ideal circumstances. Going to Rome in chains as a prisoner, not great, but still opportunity. And, we're gonna, and we've already kind of looked at the opportunity. And Paul wasn't, I don't think, at all uh, deflated. He wasn't deflated at all. That's, that's a bad word to use. He, he I mean, yeah, certainly he, he would have been a lot better more pleasant, and he would probably have a lot more personal opportunity if he was a free man. But yet he saw his being in chains as a part of God's will. And we saw that in Philippians when we ended last week, how he says, it's, for, it's God's will that I am in prison for your sake. And, and, and a part of what many interpreters see in that phrase is that it's not just, and God's so with it. He's so sovereign, he's so smart, he's so brilliant that he knows Paul's character and Paul's nature. And if Paul would have gone to Rome as a free man, it's likely he would have just gone all over the place. He wouldn't have sat still enough to write letters. He would have just kept traveling. And the thing is, all that we have up to this point, as far as Paul's life's concerned, was documented not by Paul, but by Luke, the physician, the journalist, if you will. He was hired. He was commissioned by um, possibly Theophilus, uh, if that's a, a person, or maybe it's um, a group of people, or maybe it's just his, his, his scholarly, you know, responsibility that he wrote it. But, uh, but regardless, he, Luke, his journal, he journaled the Gospels, and that was a part of the, that came from, um, of course, Peter and his, his response, or his relationship with, um, with Christ. But um, but also we have um, Paul, and we wouldn't know anything about Paul in his travels throughout the world if it wasn't for the journaling of another person. So with that in mind, if he would have made it to Rome as a free person, he probably wouldn't have wrote a darn thing down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He probably would have just traveled and did really awesome things, talking to people, meeting with people planning churches, whatnot. and I'm sure God could have used other people like Luke to, to, to jot things down, but it's kind of nice to know that Paul wrote epistles, and he wrote a lot, and because of that, we have a lot in our New Testament Bibles to be thankful for. So Paul sees God's sovereign hand in the whole picture. So with that in mind, let's read Acts 27 verse 1, and this is them finally setting out, setting out to Rome, and they're going to travel um, via boat. So when it was decided that we would travel or would sail for Italy, 
Paul and some of the other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from a drama um, titium or tatium about to, and I do apologize right now, there's a lot of words in here. Some I know, some I don't know, but I will try my best. A lot of words in here. Um, about to sail to, for port along the coast of the province of Asia. So the ship, probably a cargo ship, traveling back home, up northwest Turkey. So that line from, you know, a lot of the travels would start probably as far as down as, as, as Africa. A lot, of the, a lot of the trade, like grains and whatnot, would come down from, like, say, Egypt, so northern Africa. It would travel all the way up to north Turkey or even to Rome or beyond. So this is one of these ships. Maybe it was passing through, um, and it was docked for a while here, and, uh, and, uh, and it was commissioned by the Romans to, to travel or to take prisoners aboard to get them up to Rome. So, um, so we boarded a ship, this ship here, uh, which, which was ported uh, along the coast of the province of Asia, and we were about to sea. So, and then this guy, Aristarchus, I would say his name is Aristarchus, Aristarchus, Chios, um, he went with them. A Macedonian from Thessalonica was with us. And this is kind of interesting because I, I was wondering if this was a traveling companion or if it was a fellow prisoner. And I don't understand who this fellow is. And, and I was going to brush by him thinking, okay, maybe he's just some... Uh, now, bear in mind, maybe he was a prisoner that Paul met on board and witnessed to, and that's why he's noteworthy. But then I thought about it, maybe it's something more than that because he was with Paul pretty much during his house imprisonment in Rome. And we know that because of Paul's writing to, to the Colossian church. He mentions him twice to both letters to the to church in, in, in Colossae. He mentioned this guy. In Colossians 4.10, my fellow prisoner. So fellow prisoner, was he a prisoner? Was he converted by Paul? Did Paul take an opportunity on the ship? I mean, t- talk about any opportunity to not take an opportunity for the gospel. Paul will still take opportunity for the gospel. So I don't know. Maybe this guy was saved by being on the ship with Paul. Maybe it was the, what, what we're going to see with the shipwrecks and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the real scary things that are going to happen to these people on the ship. Maybe it's through that that he's like encountered God. He encountered God through Paul and his courage, his bravery. I don't know. He will also mention him in, in, in Philemon. Another letter was written to the, to the church in Colossae, specifically to a man named Philemon. Uh, and his name is, uh, again, mentioned there. So, interesting, Philip. Uh, in verse 3, the next day we landed in Sidon, and Julius, um, who's the Caesarean, uh, or not Caesarean, but the centurion, who was responsible for this uh, traveling these prisoners up to Rome, in uh, kindness to Paul allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of um, Cilicia and um, Pamphylia, we landed at uh, Myra in uh, Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy. And put us on board. Again, possibly another cargo ship. You know, maybe this other ship was going to end, you know, its journey soon. And so they need another ship to continue on to Italy. And, and here they found it, this Alexandrian ship. And so they went to put the prisoners on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off uh, Snidius. 
when the wind did not allow us to hold our course. We sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite Salomon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens. So like a nice place to holiday near the town of Lycia. The next slide is just a brief map. It's a quite a large map I found. It's all right. Um, I, I kind of took it in sections, just so we can see it in sections. So that section we just read right there shows where the journey's begun. Paul sent to Rome to appeal to Caesar. A little white box points down to Caesarea, where Paul's been for a long time. And think about how long he was stuck there because of, really, because of neglect. <laughs> he was forgotten by um, Festus and then Felix said, oh, well, we're going to do something about him. So then Paul made an appeal to Rome, and that's him traveling from Caesarea up to Sidon. And they talked about, I think their intention was to travel straight, straight out to sea, maybe for safety's sake, just south of Cyprus. But because of the winds and the way they were blowing, they were forced to go up and up around Cyprus. So it's kind of a jigsaw. They're going to go up and then they part for a little bit in Myra, change over, yeah, change to a larger grain ship, as it says there, and then they're going to go down towards Crete. Oh, there's Fair Havens right there. And that's where we leave left, left off of, right there at Fair Havens. So next slide. In verse 9. Much time has been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous. Because by now, it was after the Day of Atonement, which the Atonement, I remember it's Oktoberfest. <laughs> so it's at the end of September, early October, okay? So winter is coming. Winter. And with winter, the Mediterranean Sea is nasty. In the winter seasons, nastier. Really bad winds, unpredictable, stormy weather. So, so the wise thing to do is what they call make winter, to, to sit, sit still for the season, for, for, for three months, and then wait until things start to mellow out again and then start to sail. Uh, and that's exactly what Paul warned. You know, he gave counsel. He says, um, Paul warned, verse 10, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Again, the owner of the ship, his intention maybe is to, you know, get his cargo <laughs> to, the, to the, the ports where they need to be so he can sell it. Because, again, if it's grains, a lot of it's going to be, um, you know, expendable, perishable, right? So he's thinking, I need to make my money. I got to get here. And I'm sure the Centurion's happy to get this voyage, voyage over with. Quicker we're in Rome, the quicker I have to deal with stinky sailors, stinky cargo, and stinky prisoners. So again, let's just get this thing over with. That's the mentality. But Paul's like, mm. and I'm sure Paul probably came across as being a bit of a chancer. Oh yeah, you're buying time. Whatever. But the reality is, it, it, it was dangerous to set off. Very, very dangerous. And we're going to see that there was definitely reason to, to stop. So since the harbor in verse 12 was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. So the storm comes, verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, so, you know, the, the calm before the storm, if you will. Oh, it's nice, gentle, blowing from the south. Let's take our opportunity to go. So they saw this as an opportunity. So they weighed acre, sailed along the shores of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster 
swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called um, Caudia, which I don't even think was on the map, it's such a small island, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard and they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, literally holding the ship together, because we were afraid that they would run along on the sandbars of um, Syracuse. Now, I looked up that place. I was like, what is that? That's actually, the sandbars are actually um, off the, the northern coast of Africa. So this wind took them pretty far down. They were, they were pretty much on, they were just... At the, at the mercy of these insane hurricane-like winds. Imagine how scary this is. And I think, guys, it's really good to get in the story because you, I, want, it's, I think it's important at this point to think about the storms of life as a metaphor of what's going on here. This is a scary time. This is, these are turbulent times. It's, it's, a, it's a proper metaphor. Storms. Storms are usually referred to in life as difficulties, as trials, as, as hard times. And here, they are definitely going through a hard time, a life-risking, difficult time. Verse 18, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day, they began to throw the cargo overboard. Again, you're desperate times when they're willing, okay, let's throw the cargo, let's throw money. When people start throwing money over the side of the board, that's desperate times. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now is probably a time for a devotional. Next slide, please. And I can see Paul sitting in his cabin. We'll call him Cabin Boy for short. So there's Paul. He's sitting in his cabin. And he's probably thinking about things. Because we know we think about things. Especially when there's difficult times happening. And, and, and Paul will act. Paul will get involved. And what he does is really significant. But sometimes it's good to take a break and think. And I can imagine Paul sitting and thinking about some of these verses. You know, in, in a time of like calling out to God. Prayer. A time of seeking God's will and his plan. What, what's going on here, Paul? Or what's going on here? God, Paul might be calling out. Like, am I not supposed to be? Go you promised me to go to Rome, but now we're going to crash into the northern coasts of Africa. What's going on, God? What's the deal? Am I not going to Rome or what? What's, what's the deal? So I can see him calling out to him. Kind of like how the Lord was. He knew he was going to give his life, but he still cried out to God in the garden. Knowing God's will fully, but looking for that strength. Looking for that power that comes from God. And I think Paul, again, I mean, he knew his time wasn't coming. He knew his time wasn't yet. He knew that he had to get to Rome, but he need, but sometimes you need to stop and just ponder these things. And so Deuteronomy 31, 6, possibly is a verse that Paul was thinking about. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. This, of course, is talking about um, Israel and facing their enemies, okay? So it's a type of storm, metaphors, right? For it is the Lord your God who goes with you, and he will not leave you or forsake you. Think about that. If there's ever a time to remember that is during stormy times, during very, very hard, difficult times where it's a life and death situation. And I'm, I can see Paul thinking, God, you're here. And I know you're here. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. And then also, you've probably thought about that story about Jesus 
in Matthew eight twenty three to 27, where he, where, and uh, when they got into the boat, the disciples, or actually Jesus, when he got in the boat, the disciples followed him, rather. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, it's a different sea, so that the boat was being swapped, swamped by the waves. And he was asleep. And I mean, how, how, how in the world do you get that kind of peace? I, I don't know. To be able to sleep during difficult times can be very hard. The anxiety, you know, the stress. But, but Jesus had this thing about him, this sense of peace. And it wasn't false peace. It wasn't delusional. It was a genuine peace. that He was able to rest during times of difficulty. Even during this great storm, Jesus slept. And then they went, the disciples went and woke him up. You know, save us, Lord. We're perishing. I kind of think of this like if we're like at night, because we're sleeping in the loft, Danny and I, and so we can always hear the wind and the rattling the shingles up on the rooftop. And I can see the boys running upstairs, you know, with really heavy duty winds. Mom, Dad, the wind. Oh, we're scared. Oh, and then Smokey trying to lick our faces like that, you know. And it's like, go to bed. It's going to be okay. It sounds scarier than what it really is, you know. So in that sense in that way you know, our children are a lot like disciples can be you know and we've got to trust our heavenly father that even during oh god don't you hear what's going on don't you see what's going on come dude it's all right i'm with you so they say save us lord we're perishing and then he said to them why are you afraid oh you of little faith then he rose and rebuked the winds in the sea and they were a great calm and the men marveled saying what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him. He's the son of God. That's who that is. Psalm 107, 29 says, He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea be hushed. James 1, 12. Interesting. And again, this is my imagination. Well, now, bear in mind, he didn't have James's writing, because I think he hasn't yet to write these things, James. But he certainly had the Psalms. He certainly had Deuteronomy, and he certainly had the story of Jesus. I can guarantee Paul knew those things. But we can add James to our devotional time and say that God blesses those. Blessings from heaven. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So a little something to think about. But the story's not over, guys. I got a couple more slides. And I've got five minutes and a bit to finish them. Acts 27, 21. In this part called the Christian influence. And this is kind of interesting in light of what we were talking about this morning. With, you know, being a Christian. The Christian influence. Now look at Paul in this situation and how he acts. In verse 21. After they have gone a long time without food, Paul stood up. Before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. I love it. He didn't just stay focused on the negative. You should listen to me. What do you like? I don't know. I'm out of here. He, 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 he's helpful. He's genuinely helpful. You shouldn't have listened to me. However, let's just move on from that. I urge you to keep your courage. You're going to be okay. You know, this is interesting because when I first heard this, I thought to myself, if I didn't know God, like Paul knew God, I would say this is just fluff, right? 
What do you know, Paul? Now, bear in mind, according to 2 Corinthians, Paul was shipwrecked three times, so he was an expert at being shipwrecked. So maybe he does have some warranted for his beliefs. So regardless, keep your courage. Because not one of you will be lost. How? See his character? See how he comes through? To how helpful? You're going to be okay. And I'm confident of this. How can he be confident of this? How can he say such things? This is where the Christian influence comes in, guys. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Now, again, they might think, well, that's good for you, Paul. I'm glad you believe that nonsense, but let's get real. But whether or not they would receive it or not is regardless. It's Paul. Paul heard from God yet again. He spent time, I believe, I think this is a clear indication he spent time with God, devotionally speaking. God met him. He met him at a quiet time. He was in his bed. He spoke to him. He spoke to him clearly. And he was, and he, here's the important part. Paul believed it. Okay, guys? It doesn't matter what the sailors, how they received it. It doesn't matter how the captain of the ship receives it. It doesn't matter how the commander of the army received it, the centurion. It doesn't matter. What matters is that Paul received it. That Paul believed it. And this is a part of what the Christian influence does. When God does something in someone's in our lives as believers, it's going to have a secondary effect on other people. And that's awesome. These people probably likely could have died, but, but because God was with Paul, he saved the life of these people on the ship. Think about that. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, you must run aground on some island. Okay, we'll be safe, but the ship's toasted. And again, I wrote down three steps, if you will, to the Christian influence as I see it here. First of all, Christians belong to God, okay, and they hear from God. Okay, but we need to trust the words he gives us, okay, guys? So number two, when God says he's going to do something, we got to trust that he will. Paul knew he belonged to God. God spoke to him, and now he trusted it. I don't know, but sometimes it might be a mystery. How is it going to happen? I don't know, but God says he's going to do it, so I trust that he's going to make it happen somehow, some way. And number three, the Christian influence is the effect. Think about that, guys. In shots, in wisha, in law, wherever you happen to be working, wherever you happen to be studying, what, you know what I'm saying? Wherever you are, even your family, there's an influence that you have that's positive upon these people, even if they don't believe in God. And I think that's what we see here in this situation. And this is what I call the Christian influence. It's an effect. It's a residual effect. It's like a secondary effect. Because of your trust in God and your faith and belief in God, it's going to affect other people in a positive way. The Christian influence is the effect that the believer's trust in God has on other people. But... This is an important part, but there's a follow-up. There's a consequence, and that's this. Some, and, we, we, and, and the reality is we need to bring people to the same trusting faith that we have. Because what we don't want people to do is have false hope. I, everything's fine. Everything's dandy. God must accept me because everything's all right. Mm, you need to have your own trusting relationship with God. You, and that's a difficult thing when God's blessing us and caring for us and, and people are, are, are 
you know, taking, you know, feeling the residual effect that's positive like we see with the ship. We don't want them to walk away with a false sense of hope. Instead, what we want to do is use an opportunity for deliverance, for people to come to be saved and rescued from their spiritual state if they don't have a relationship with God, to having a relationship with God and having then now their own personal walk with God. And so this goes back to one, bringing people back to one. So rather than leaving them with a false sense of hope, which is just emptiness, we want to bring them to one where they are now belonging to God and hearing from God. You see, you see what the importance? I think a lot of Christians will think, well, as long as you're walking with God as a granny or as an auntie, your family will be blessed and they'll all go to heaven. Mm, that's a false sense of hope. That's dangerous. Yes, they will feel the blessings from God that comes from being in your proximity. However, you need to take these people to God so they can have their own trusting, faithful relationship with God so they can be an influence on other people and bring them to God, you see? So it's all about bringing people back to one, bringing them back to having a relationship where they belong to God and hear from God. Does that make sense? Next slide. So here's the journey. You know, there's Cyrene down there, so maybe that's where the, the trouble is. And they pulled it off, lost, floating about, going to Malta, where they'll crash into a reef and be forced to winter there. So next slide. Acts 27, verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took surroundings and found that the waters was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. That means the water's getting shallow fast. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped, from an dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, <laughs> cheeky sailors, cheeky, 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 in an attempt to escape the sailors, which you need the sailors, let down lifeboat down into the sea, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Yeah, we're going to lower some anchors here. Just, just you stand over there. But Paul, said Centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Now that's, that's significant. The fact that the Centurion actually is listening to Paul. You know, that's pretty significant. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, now here, I like this part as well. We're going to end pretty soon here, guys. I, and the reason why I like this is because this is Paul kind of taking charge. And he's, be, first of all, he's already gave words of encouragement, but now he's there. And he's giving us an example of leadership. I mean, he's a prisoner. He's a nobody. Who is he to even talk to a centurion? He's the man who's in charge of 100 military men. You know, know your place, boy. But Paul, and I guarantee you, is very respectful. Because the thing is, the centurion did listen to him. If he wasn't respectful, if he didn't honor the centurion's place, he probably wouldn't have had his ear. You can rest assured that. If he spoke out of line, you can rest assured that that centurion would never listen to Paul. But Paul was a respectful man who demanded respect himself. 
And so the centurion saw that in him and he heard him and he was able to have a place where he can take charge and show us a good example of leadership. So first thing, take care of yourself, guys. I urge you to take some food. We need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Again, that belief, he keeps encouraging him. We're going to be okay. God told me. I believe it. We're going to be okay. After he said this, he took some bread, gave things to God in front of all of them. Oh, what a witness. What testimony. Guys, this God who gave us his bread and this drink, he's going to save us. Let's thank him. Thank you, God, for this food. They're like, yeah, <laughs> storm sucks. Let's get... But it's okay, guys. We need to eat. We need the strength. Thank you, God, for food. Thank you for that you're going to save us. He broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged. Um, I highlight that, and I made a bold to see that. It must have been hard for him to be able to stand up and to say these things in light of rejection, in light of the circumstances. But it's good to know that he did it anyways, and it gave him, these people, a great deal of encouragement. And they ate some food. Finally, they were, you know what it's like when you're so stressed out and anxious you can't eat? I'm sure that's probably where they are. But Paul said, I have a vision and you're going to be okay. Rest your tummies, guys, and have something to eat because you need the, the nutrition. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. 